Hello and welcome to episode 92 of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. This episode is coming a couple of weeks late because some stuff has been going on in the background that really you all don't need to know about, Um, but we are going to be covering a good bit of news and announcements that have been coming of late in the various geek industries, so that's very exciting. I will go ahead and say that right now, this is a comic book podcast, primarily. Um, I'm not going to be talking about comics that have come out recently, because I am still very behind on March comics, uh, but we'll be covering those in the next podcast episode, as well as things to look forward to in the month of April. Not to start things on a downer, um, but there was the very, very unfortunate passing of acclaimed actor and voice actor, among other things, musician Lance Reddick. And that one is still a little bit fresh for us here. Um, So I think we're going to put off that obituary because I want it to be something that is very um, well put together for Lance Reddick. We'll probably talk about that in the next couple of episodes, but we will be definitely talking about his enormous legacy. And I think that it's important too because he was a fan as well. So the episode proper this week is going to start with tarot. Now, I forgot to mention this in the last week's episode, but there is this, I always talk about how you don't have to believe in anything necessarily to enjoy and to work with tarot cards in a kind of divinatory way. And I have a a little statement that somebody wrote. Um, I linked it in the last episode's notes, um, but I forgot to go over the statement that he made that I think it really kind of well defines my whole idea of um, not having to believe in anything necessarily to still find meaning in tarot. So there's that. And our card of the week to this week is going to be card number five of the Major Arcana, the Hierophant. So we'll go over the description, symbolism, history, interpretations, and the fun pop culture stuff. We have our manga of the week, which is Tokyo Demon Bride's Story, and I'm super excited to talk about that one. It's adorable. And then some manga news, which is going to include new English announcements, uh, manga wrapping up and uh, the, the finales that are coming, and then returns as well as one light novel that's being turned into an anime. And the topic of comic book news, um, just some general topics that I kind of wanted to talk about. One having to do with female writers at the big two, you know, Marvel and DC. There was a discussion that was going on on Twitter. There was also a discussion on Twitter I have to touch on that was surrounding pretty much comics versus manga. And we'll talk about why that was a stupid argument or debate to be having at all. And these last few weeks have also seen the unfortunate confirmation that the Captain Marvel series is going to be ending with issue 50, so I have a discussion planned on why that is doing absolutely nobody any favors. And finally, a little bit of discussion of the Tom King and Daniel Samperi Wonder Woman series, which is coming, I believe, uh, what is it, August? No, we haven't gone that far in solicits. Coming for issue 800, whenever that's coming out. What I will talk about as far as comic books, uh, recent comic books, is I'll go over a lot of, I've been a lot of kickoffs, one-shots, and starts to series. Yes, buddy. <laughs> uh, so I'll go over what those were, because there's some really, really interesting stuff. Uh, I have not gotten around to reading pretty much any of it, but it's been some really fun, fun things that are coming out from a lot of indie publishers, as well as even the big two. And I will briefly go over what did come out this last week of March for just general everything that I'm paying attention to in comics. And like always, I do not talk about everything in comics that comes out at any particular time ever. Um, Make sure you check out your comic book shops because they have the rest of it that I do not cover. 
And that'll lead us into the final segment, which is TVs and movies. There has been a lot, and maybe this has to do with why I'm so behind on reading comics, but there has been a lot of new stuff premiering. Um, and I may or may not have binged quite a few things over the past few weeks. So we'll go over a couple of those, including, yes, Yellow Jackets Season 2. Anybody? Anybody? Um, and then news and announcements. We have a section on rumors, of which it is a lot of Disney, I'm sorry, a lot of Marvel rumors. Uh, we have a lot of confirmed Marvel information, people who've left the company, why that's relevant or irrelevant, uh, release dates, trailers. There have been a couple of trailers um, between Marvel and DC, and a couple of casting announcements. And then over at DC, we have a few announcements and things that we'll talk about as well. Of course, the Blue Beetle trailer also. Anime news is going to include the 18 titles that uh, Crunchyroll is going to be having as dubbed for the spring 2023 lineup, dubbed in English. There's 18 titles. Um, there's already been a number of them, I want to say like seven or eight at this point, that have already premiered in Japanese. So if you are a subtitle person, definitely go and check out some of the new stuff that's premiering on Crunchyroll uh, for anime for the spring 2023 lineup because it's already getting some, a lot of them are already getting some really great reviews. Then we have the anime show and announcements and dates, which yes, of course, is going to include what we know, what little there is of the Scott Pilgrim Netflix anime. Can you believe that not only have they gotten the entire voice cast back, but none of them have done anything wildly problematic? I'm not sure which is more impressive. And then a lot of other exciting things for anime that are coming in the next nine-ish months, within the next nine-ish months. Of course, the show this week, the episode this week, will wrap up with the two episodes of Mandalorian that we have missed so far. It's chapters 20 and 21, and we're going to be covering both of those at the end of this podcast episode, so stick around because that is going to be some fun discussion. I do feel the need just a touch to apologize again for the podcast having been delayed uh, now a couple of times already into this new year. Things uh, can get a little bit crazy in life and unexpected things and shoes dropping and stuff like that, um, but there's always something to be grateful for, and I'm grateful that I have this podcast, and um, I hope that you guys enjoy what it is that I put out when I can. More or less weekly, but um, this one obviously being a catch-up, I appreciate all of your patience as listeners. Our tarot card of the week is, as I mentioned previously, card number five of the Major Arcana, the Hierophant. We'll talk about that in just a second, but um, I did briefly mention this tarot researcher or writer. I'm not sure what his uh, actual position, a profession, or anything like that is, um, but he is a person who grew up in the Jewish tradition who has seems to have a very similar perspective um, on tarot and that kind of esoteric stuff. Um, as I do, and he was very much able to put it into words a lot more, babe, a lot more uh, clearly than I am able to. And so I have that uh, this the full quote I have on my as well as the link to the page it came from on my podcast notes. The part that's important is basically what he's talking about is how um, he's talking about astrology, and in this quote, astrology for myself can be easily one to one replaced with tarot. And really, both of them fit for me. Um, but what he says is, I grew up with the confidence, 
with confidence that astrology was hokum and worse than useless. My conceit was weakened during a time when I shared a house with several practitioners of astrology in the Vedic tradition. Theirs was not the tabloid magazine's pablum about romance is just around the corner. Instead, they seemed to be sensitive to subtle influences and be guided by a constant, consistent set of principles that were based on millennia of observations about human behavior and the natural environment. That pretty much, I hope that kind of makes sense. Um, consistent set of principles based on millennia of observations about human behavior and the natural environment. That is why tarot means anything to me. You don't have to believe anything because these are principles and ideas and tropes that just are. They are. as They are human nature. Um, and so you really don't have to believe anything. And the whole thing of tabloid magazines problem about romance is just around the corner. No, I don't involve myself in any of that. Um, it is very much a more true, um, worldly and widely relatable thing than, than that kind of silliness, I guess. No offense. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I hope that makes a little bit of sense. The link there is in the podcast notes, but let's go ahead and move on to the card of the week. Number five, the Hierophant. So going over some descriptions of the card itself. Traditionally, it is a male figure who is sitting in the center of a card. Center of the card. Their right hand is raised in benediction or blessing. It has two fingers pointed up and two pointed down, forming the bridge between heaven and hell. It's also reminiscent of the shape of the hanged one, who we will get to later on during the Major Arcana. They are a true pontiff, who is a being who connects the deities to humanity, or in most cases, they're being the deity being God, right? The figure is usually holding a papal cross signifying their religious status, and they are typically male, sometimes also known as the high priest. They're sitting between two pillars. The pillars stand for either law and reason, depending on who you ask, or obedience and disobedience. Uh, they, they wear a triple layer crown, which stands for the conscious, the subconscious, and the superconscious. There are a pair of keys crossed at their feet, which signify the keys to heaven, unlock, unlocking secret wisdom and the balance of the conscious and subconscious. The keys also signify initiation and knowledge. And speaking of that initiation and knowledge, the figure of the Hierophant is often shown with worshippers as they are a teacher passing on wisdom. This group setting could also be signifying that of an initiation. And the high priestess, the, sorry, the Hierophant wears red as opposed to the high priestess's blue. Key terms that go along with the card include ancestry, connecting to your past, family research, initiation, and spiritual wisdom and study. As for the history of the Hierophant card, it is derived from the historical Pope card. It is a card of traditional values and institutions. Papacy, 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 I think, was religious with a political and military backing at the time. When tarot was invented, the Pope controlled a large portion of central Italy called the Papal States. Renaissance culture didn't question the Pope as God's representative on Earth. The Hierophant name is due to Antoine Court de Gebin, 
who in an attempt to de-Christianize the terror of Marseilles, um, there was a, he mistakenly believed some things. And the quote here that says he, out of mistaken belief in a pre-Christian origin of the Hierophant card, he said the Hierophant was the chief priest in an ancient Greek ritual tying into ancient Egypt, possibly the first of many to do so. There's a very, very long history of what you may call cultural appropriation in a, in a funky sense um, of people trying to tie various esoteric, um, broadly kind of, we'll, say, we'll just say pagan ideals um, into ancient Egyptian culture because they just wanted to see that connection there. There, there. there is no connection. Historic evidence shows that tarot was invented in Italy, not in Egypt. But the Hierophant is more is far more wide ranging than just wide ranging than just religion. Meaning can differ from person to person as we uncover our heritage and ancestry, which comes up in the ID and identities that we hold. The strict uh, the strict meaning of the card being read upright includes marriage, alliance, captivity, and servitude. It could also mean mercy, goodness, inspiration, and the man with whom the querent has recourse. So an important man in your life. As for the interpretation, what you should take away when you might draw this card from the Bridget Esselment Biddy Tarot book, the Hierophant card represents an established set of spiritual beliefs and values and is often correlated with religion and other formal doctrines. Before you can discover your own belief systems and make your own choices, as associated with the next card, The Lovers, the Hierophant encourages you to learn the fundamental principles from a trusted source. Work with a teacher, mentor, or guide to teach you about your spiritual values and beliefs in a structured way. He may be an authority or a kind and generous mentor who nurtures your spiritual awareness and helps you access the divine by understanding the traditions and core principles. You may also undertake a period of formal study as you delve into a subject that has been widely explored and documented. The Hierophant's arrival suggests you are following convention and staying within the bounds of a, quote, tried and tested model. You are not yet willing to go on out on a limb or offer any new and innovative ideas. Instead, you adhere to the key principles and rules that you know will lead you to successful results. The description, the interpretation goes on to talk about how the Hierophant may be calling you to honor your family traditions or sacred rituals that sit neglected. And then also says that the Hierophant card often speaks to group memberships or being part of an institution. You may enjoy a deep sense of comforting being comfort being surrounded by people who have well-established belief systems and explicit values. This card is about identifying with others and a way of thinking that will prompt further learning. Moving into pop culture with the Hierophant, I'm starting off with some quotes that Bridget Esselman, um, these are some kind of fun ones she has in her Ultimate Guide of Tarot Cards and Meanings book. It's quite a tome. I love it. I write in it. Um, the quotes, she's got two quotes. The first is from William Arthur Ward, who is an author and pastor. Teaching is more than imparting knowledge. It is inspiring change. Learning is more than absorbing facts. It is acquiring understanding. The second quote is from the Bhagavad Gita, which is a religious tome from the Middle East. I really should go back and look at my notes from my uh, philosophies and religions class in college because the man was an absolute genius with the Bhagavad Gita. He made it make so much sense. He was a frankly quite brilliant professor, but um, I learned so much in that class. But the second quote is from the Bhagavad Gita. 
The Supreme Lord said, I shall reveal to you who do not disbelieve the most profound secret of self-knowledge and self-realization. Having known this, you will be freed from the mis miseries of worldly existence. Those are those two quotes. We also know that in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, the character Noriaki Kaikyon <laughs> Kaikyon has a stand named after the Hierophant, which is called Hierophant Green. As I understand it, stands are basically their powers. In the Adventure Time miniseries called Stakes, one of the members of the Vampire King's Court is named after the Hierophant as well. In 2007's Marvel Tarot, which I would love for them to redo, uh, the man who is fictionally writing the story, this journal, I guess, he draws the Hierophant card as the character from Marvel, Mordred the Mystic. He says, he was a good guy, even after he was possessed by the spirit of the Darkhold. He fought and struggled, but now, seems like Mordred has given up and given in. Oh, it's Modred, not Mordred. I guess Mordred is the Arthurian tale, and he's not actually that. Anyway, but just when you think the struggle is over for Modred, Gathon will withdraw his influence just enough for Modred to realize what he has become and attempt to save himself. Apparently nothing amuses Elder God, the Elder God more. Gathon is not so interested in villains. Fallen heroes can't get enough of them. It also says uh, the Hierophant keywords, information, institution, conservatism, discipline, formality, social convention, belief system, conforming, experience, tradition, obedience to the rules, and status quo. Which is a little bit of a darker take on the card, a little bit less of an open take. Um, there's a lot more to it, obviously, than just uh, obedience to the rules, right? Like, I think I think we've covered that at this point. Um, finally, the Natasha Iglesias anime Tarot, the card number five, the Hierophant, relates to, in anime archetypes, the archetype of the monk. And what she has to say about that. The Hierophant's analog in anime is the monk. Buddhist monks frequently make appearances in anime, particularly those in historical settings. They represent the hierarchical world of religious practice, and whether or not these holy men stay true to their vows, they gain power through spiritual training. Whereas Miko are depicted as having innate spiritual powers, who are the, um... Hang on, give me like two seconds. The, um... Shoot. Not the magical girl, right? The high priestess. That was the Miko. The high priestess was the Miko, right? And that's the the Ray character from Sailor Moon. Uh, the the um, the Shinto priestess, basically. So she says, whereas Miko are depicted as having innate spiritual powers, monks often rely on their education, including their knowledge of Buddhist sutras, to exercise evil. So you can see the little bit of a difference there between the female and male versions, more or less, the high priestess and the hierophant. The character examples that she gives for the monk, aka the hierophant, is Miroku in Inuyasha, um... Gosh, Bobby in Good Luck Curl, Genjo Sanzo in Sayuki, Sayuki, I'm so sorry. I haven't seen a lot of these, clearly. <laughs> uh, and Sadahiro Mibu in Corpse Princess. She has a couple more examples, but I've already brutalized the poor Japanese language enough. I think, I think we'll call that a day. Be coming back next week for card number six of the Major Arcana, The Lovers, which is going to have some fun correlations to uh, the anime tarot here, as well as the Marvel tarot, and we'll talk a lot about the symbolism and everything else, too. 
theme manga of the week this week, I am happy to say, is Tokyo Demon Bride Story, which I only recently realized has a lot of haters. Why? It's so cute. Okay, I do see it, it has some, like, obvious cliches to it, but it's adorable, okay? So this one is by Tadaichi Nakama, which I hope I said decently enough. Um, and I also have a little article linked in my podcast notes. It's CBR. We don't like CBR as a company, but I can't hate the people who do good work there. Um, so anyway, <laughs> this one started on the Shonen Jump app, I believe just last year. Um, it's described as a supernatural harem con comedy, which I feel like is pretty accurate. And it is only just announced a couple of days ago that it's actually going to end, um, in issue 18, 2023, which is out April 3rd. Hey, that's today. Oh, damn. Well, <laughs> I guess it's ending today. So once I catch up with it, that's about it. It's only got like 27 or 28 chapters, but it's a very, very sweet read. Basically, the whole thing is, as this one very kind person summarized on Twitter, fantasy battle rom-com about a teenage boy who one day gets visited by a cute Oni girl, demon girl, who he had promised to marry 10 years ago when they were children. Now living with his soon-to-be bride, the boy faces various yokai battles because having one Oni girl living with him, uh, he ends up having all of these other like yokai characters come and live with him. Like um, uh, the demon girls, I mean, the first one, then you get the fish girl and this like bear girl who's this really brutal fighter who knows the demon girl from when they were kids and went to school together or something like that. Kind of a traditional harem, but with, like, monster girls. Yokai girls. <laughs> um, and I really enjoyed it, but I'm, I'm sad to see that there's a fair amount of people who really didn't like it um, and are surprised that it even lasted this long. I am sad to hear that, but I very much enjoyed it. Um, and I hope people, other people enjoy it, too. It seems that people do like it. Um, but even back when it started in September of last year, it was really iffy on if this one was going to last very long. I personally very much have enjoyed it. Uh, but unfortunately, Tadaichi Nakama doesn't really have other projects that they've been working on that you can go back and read. They have a couple of one-shots, but nothing nothing that you can actually dig into. So um, with the cancellation of this one, hopefully they continue uh, to create manga and we'll see something else from them in the near future, hopefully on the Shonen Jump app where I can read it. <laughs> So anyway, Tokyo Demon Bride Story on the Shonen Jump app has had its final update, um, and I will tell you guys what I think of it all when I finish the whole thing. I think I'm about ten chapters in. Um, we'll we'll see we'll see what I think when it's over. A little bit brief on the manga of the week because it is kind of a shorter one, but we have manga news, and that's fun. Um, there is a first off a ultimate list of manga recommendations that has been posted by my anime list. I have the link for that in my uh, podcast notes if you want to check that out because it is pretty, it's not a bad list. Um, I feel like there's a lot of stuff on there that I have zero interest in reading though, so let me know which ones on there that you have read and what you think should have been on this list of ultimate list of manga recommendations, which is not. Um, there's one new English manga that's been announced uh, coming out on April 4th, which is <laughs> tomorrow as I am recording this, um, and it is called Gloomy Bear Apocalyptic Love. It is by Masato Fujiska, Fujisaki, sorry, uh, based on Mori Chalk's Gloomy Bear character, which is apparently kind of quite the phenomenon um, in certain places. 
it seems that it's basically the uh, these teenagers or these young men and women have these keychains that come to life to protect them like zombie bears. So, or they get attacked by zombies and the keychains are bears that come to life to protect them from the zombies is actually what it looks like it is. <laughs> have you guys watched that zombie um like love live show <laughs> parody practically it's funny anyway uh we have one new one that's ending obviously we just talked about tokyo demon bride story ending we are also ending and you thought there is never a girl online which i am somewhat familiar with due to the manga i haven't really spent too much uh, sorry due to the anime <laughs> i haven't spent a ton of time watching it but i'm like probably halfway through the first season so i i have a fairly decent grasp of what the whole thing is this series is by shibai kineko and it is ending on its 22nd volume the anime was is streaming on Crunchyroll in English and in Japanese as of I don't know when, but it came out in 2016. We have a couple of series who are returning. It is Nura, Rise of the Yokai Clan, and Free Ren Beyond Journey's End. Uh, the first one is actually 11 years that it's been uh, on hiatus and now it's coming back with four new chapters by original artist and writer Hiroshi Shibashi. Shibashi. Uh, and then for as for the second one, Free Run Beyond Journey's End, it's resuming on March 22nd, which is in the past now, <laughs> and it is by writer Kanahito Yamada and artist Sukasa Abi or Sukasa Abi. I need to get my pronunciation better. It's part of why I do this. <laughs> And finally, we have a light novel that's being turned into an anime. Light novels are pretty much just novels that sometimes have a little bit of art. Um, depends on which one you're reading, really. But this one is Demon Lord 2099, and it is going to be turned into an anime. It says, Year 2099, the dazzling prosperity of this massive city-state conceals a lurid darkness just beneath its surface. It is here in this mega, mega, megalopolis, mega, mega, megalopolis, yep, what's a megalopolis? Megalopolis, yep, that represents the pinnacle of human development, where the legendary Demon Lord Vitol, Viltol, makes his second coming. Bloody bloody blah. Demon Lord 2099 coming as an anime from the light novel sometime soon. Over the course, as we get into the comics here, over the course of the past couple of weeks, there's been some interesting discussions about comic books on Twitter and other social media sites. Um, and that's pretty much what our comic book news is gonna be here. Um, first off, I'll address the comics versus manga debate first. Are you stupid? Sorry, that's mean. They're the same thing. <laughs> you look up what manga is. It's Japanese comics, pretty much. In extreme short, it's comics. It's like circles, not circles, squares and rectangles. All squares are rectangles. Not all rectangles are squares. All manga are comics. Not all comics are manga. And why are we why are we debating about this anyway? This is like the Marvel versus DC debate. Which, again, is kind of the same thing, of that they're the same thing. <laughs> um, like, why? It's just, it's, 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 it's like saying, oh, you watch TV instead of movies. <laughs> Sucker. Like, what? <laughs> it's just a very stupid debate, and that is what I will say, the last thing I will say on it there. In a slightly less, I mean, extremely less <laughs> light debate, um, a little discussion on Twitter over the past couple of weeks about female big two writers. Uh, this is coming from at Comic Book Herald. Um, do I follow this person? 
I probably should. Um, <laughs> what they're saying is they have this list of female, very big names. Anne Nocenti, Louise Simonson, Joe Duffy, Rachel Pollack, Mindy Newell. Huge names. A lot of them Marvel, a little bit DC. Mindy Newell wrote what is, in my opinion, still the best Catwoman series to ever have been written. It was her first Catwoman series. Um, what they say in this tweet? They have those names. They say, Commonality. Their big two works weren't collected until decades after their male peers. Some still aren't. One key area, big two have historically failed women creating some of their finest comics. And it continues, no print collection also often means the works aren't available for digital, again limiting availability through streaming options. This all leads to decades where the works fall outside the celebrated canon, amplifying the perception that all the good comics are written by men. So it's not just that it's been X percent harder and rarer for women to land big two assignments over the years. It's also that these works were deep deprioritized and left to rot until the last five to ten years it's a failure plain and simple if that doesn't get your blood boiling i don't i mean you might be listening to the wrong podcast um a couple of people commenting on this to add into all of it um don't forget nancy collins her swamp thing run was only collected a couple of years ago after never being reprinted since the 1980s you have Anne Nocenti still doesn't have an omnibus or a collected edition of her Daredevil run, one of the best Daredevil runs people talk about. Here's another a response saying, I think Newell, as in Mindy Newell, who I mentioned the Catwoman series, really gets slighted on her Wonder Woman run. I didn't even know about that one. See what I mean? Because it's always marketed as by George Perez. Perez is one of my favorite all-time characters, but Newell's script really elevated those issues. Man, that sucks. And yeah, no, no, no hate on George Perez. He's obviously amazing for so many reasons. But damn, Mindy Newell wrote that, and I didn't even know. This is what I mean: is these things are a failure of the community and more so of the publishers to not be like this. Somebody says, still a crime that Louise Simonson's X Factor isn't up on Marvel's app. Hell, I don't even think Anosensi's full Daredevil run is available either. Nope, I nope that other guy. Yep, no, it is not. Here's another one. Yeah, I've been trying to collect Anne Nocenti on Daredevil because she's one of my favorite runs and it's impossible to get it together. You have to piece it together with so many random collections. Joe Duffy's Star Wars run. It says, really hurts when it comes to Joe Duffy. She was very visible at Marvel 40 years ago. Then she launched the Catwoman ongoing that Balin drew so much of. But after a while, it seemed like she'd faded away. And Anne's Spider-Man stories are an amazing Anne Nocenti. See, these creators, they have their fingers in everything, but they don't get credit for it. There are artists who still at DC Comics, female artists and artists of color who were never credited properly for their works because it just wasn't, they just gave the credit to the bigger name. And then there's this one guy who says he bought the Catwoman by Jim Balint and the author, Joe Duffy, is not mentioned on the cover, period. What is that about? And then the last one on here, uh, the issues that Mindy Newell wrote of the Legion of Superheroes that weren't even in the collected stuff when it was reprinted. Again, this is this is tragedy and frankly infuriating, um, and it goes by exactly what that guy said that by not printing these females, these women written stories, you're only further extrapolating the idea. I think extrapolating was the right word. The idea that exasperating, exasperating the idea that. Only the men write the good stories by not making the good female stories accessible. That's what it looks like. And by God, that is messed up. 
And unfortunately, the second bit of comics, or third, I guess, bit of comics discussion doesn't actually stray too far from that, because it was announced recently that Captain Marvel, Kelly Thompson series, is going to be ending with issue number 50. And that does not do anybody any favors. Um, I actually had to get all up on some dude on the internet who thought that he knew comics, apparently. (laughs) And said, Carol's never been an A-lister. Why are they trying to make Carol happen? Carol's never going to happen. You know, trying to trying to appeal to me, a woman, with um, that stupid Mean Girls movie that I don't like. No, I'm sorry. It did not appeal to me. I'm just going to prove that you're wrong. Because she was a key member as Ms. Marvel of the uh, Brian Michael Bendis Avengers and the Finch Avengers. And you could probably go on. She was a key member of the Hickman stuff when that was happening. Like... <laughs> She's had ongoing series for a very long time. People just forget that, I guess. Pretty much since 2006, with a small gap between 2010 and 2012, she has never not had an ongoing series. But it's okay, yeah, no, she's not an A-lister. She only starred in some of the greatest Avengers and New Avengers series that were ever written in the modern era, but not an A-lister. Anyway... To prove my point about not doing anybody any favors by canceling it here um, at 50 issues, her Carol Danvers first had a solo series with Ms. Marvel, 1977 to 1979. Uh, I wrote 19, I wrote 1097. I'm dyslexia, man. Uh, that was 23 issues. Her second Ms. Marvel series was that only gap, really, in her history of printing. That was 2006 to 2010. Now that one, that one was 50 issues. It was written by a man. And you could tell. To kind of explain what I mean by that. Not a lot of women call each other cow. But for some reason it was like every issue in that? Really bizarre. Um, (laughs) We have that minor gap of two years where she becomes Captain Marvel. And you now have, let's see, 17 issues of Captain Marvel Volume 7. Which then jumps in the future to something they add more onto it later because then you get volume 8 has 15 issues volume 9 has 10 issues then you have mighty captain marvel which is 10 issues in 2017 okay and then it goes back to the life of captain marvel um which was five issues and then it goes to legacy numbering where you have 125 to 129 um and then, which was, was that, four or five issues? And then it launches the Captain Marvel Volume 10 series, which is the one that we're about to wrap up again at issue 50. Um, this has been, this has been a, uh, a series written by women. Um, this has been, I mean, all the stuff pretty much since her 2006 to 2010 Ms. Marvel series uh, has been Carol written by women. Um, so it does get (laughs) quite disheartening when you're finally at a point where we're going to beat the record for this other previous series where she's on a, let's be honest, somewhat lesser point with a somewhat lesser creative team at points. We had some really, truly amazing, Sonic Cicada was an artist for a while, bro, stunning. But anyway, um, what what my, my point is. We were just talking about how it's not only harder for the com- women in comics to get the jobs, it's harder for them to get credit for the job that they've actually already done. This is really kind of making that 
it's it's falling right into that trap. <laughs> and then Marvel's busy talking about how, oh, it's this groundbreaking uh, legacy ending um, or starting creating. It's it's monumental. It's uh, one in a million. No, you can't say all that stuff if you're not even reaching 51 issues. If you can't even break the record that she already set for herself by reaching issue 50 fucking one, you are not breaking any records, Marvel. Especially when you have zero reason, as far as anybody can tell, to actually be canceling this series I know that you guys think that canceling series when they hit over like 25 is what you should do to keep people, to keep new readers around, but new readers are always going to be there. It's the people who are already paying money and investing in it already who you want to keep around. Am I getting to be old man yells at cloud a little bit here? I think I am. Anyway, <clears throat> Carol Danvers is an A-lister and deserves 51 issue run. That's, that's where I'll leave that. Um, and lastly, we'll talk about some very different side of the world things, and that is the Tom King and Daniel Semperi Wonder Woman series. It is looking really, really good. I am very excited for it. Um, although I, I, I really can't tell much about it. Um, it looks really good visually. I should clarify. It looks really, really good visually. Can't tell a dang thing about it because everything that I see Tom King talk about it, I am, I am a little bit. I, I am of split mind, right? Because um, in one interview, he said that he wrote this whole thing uh, of rules, basically, about him writing Wonder Woman. And he said that one of the rules was no sword, just the lasso. And my immediate thought for that is that, oh, okay, so he's not going to have her killing people or angry or whatever, you know. And we know that's bullshit. We know Wonder Woman Amazons are brutal. We know that. That's not news. But then I see the picture of the Daniel Semperi art from the book that they're doing, and she's walking through this field of downed soldiers with the whip. So I don't really know what that means. Is she just going to be absolutely brutal without needing a sword because she's just that badass? Or is it that she's going to be this odd take on a non-violent Wonder Woman and she's walking through somebody else's field of dead bodies. I don't know. Uh, visually, it looks amazing. Daniel Semperi's Wonder Woman is the physical, the physicality Wonder Woman of my dreams. But we'll see. We'll just have to wait and see. Getting into comics that have recently come out, I'm not going to be covering the reads, more of just the start, the kickoffs and things that sound exciting. Um, so kickoffs from the week of the 22nd from Source Point Press, they had The Curse of Cleaver County, number one, Deep Dark, number one, and Etheries, number one. Image Comics had Dead Romans, Red Five had Fallen, Boom Comics had Neighbors, number one, and Sumerian had Pop Scars. Comics Experience Publishing had Sereno, Scout Comics, We Wicked Ones, and then there was also at Marvel, Doctor Strange number one, as well as the one-shots, Women of Marvel, and DC's Legion of Bloom. This past week had just as many number ones, uh, with It's Jeff from Marvel by Kelly Thompson and Guri Hiru, who are a duo of, I believe, Japanese, um, uh, cartoonists. <laughs> I blanked really hard there. Cartoonists. Um, the Ambassadors, number one, comes from Mark Millar and Frank Quitely from Image Comics. Just as a brief once-over, ordinary people from around the world present their case for why they should be one of six chosen to receive superpowers. Sounds really awesome, frankly. All the Devils Are Here, number one, from Scout Comics by Jared Lujan and Matt Harding. Black Sheep, number one, by Lev Gleason from his new Friday publisher, I believe. Uh, the Wicked Ones from Scout Comics. 
Orphan Boy, orphaned years ago by a mass witch-burning orchestrated by the U.S., a woman seeks to wreak havoc as a contract killer in Washington, D.C. Don't Spit in the Wind, number one from Mad Cave Studios, by writer and artist Stefano Cardoselli. Dungeons and Dragons, Saturday Morning Adventures from IDW. Granite State Punk from Scout Comics. Honevorks from Blood Moon Comics. Indigo Children from Image. Unicorn Vampire Hunter from Scout. Mikaton, also from Scout. Miracle Kingdom. Yep, that is also from Scout. Spend the Night, The Curse of One-Eyed Jenny is from Kong Comics. Uh, it says, after girls are rec- electrocuted to death at a slumber party, her friends summon a terrifying urban legend called One-Eyed Jenny to save her life. Sounds terrifying. Rocket Man and Rocket Girl number one from Dynamite. Two 1940s superheroes attempt to thwart Nazi Nazis from stealing rocket technology. Seventy Years of Darkness from Comics Experience, Experience Publishing by writer-artist Joseph Schmalk. Songs for the Dead, Afterlife, number one from Vault. Waller vs. Wildstorm from DC, as well as Unstoppable Doom Patrol. And then at Marvel, we had Clobber in Time, number one, which, yes, is a series about the thing. This past week, which was the, that was all from uh, this past week, the 29th. Other things that came out on the 29th that I was excited about and have not caught up on yet. Uh, Bloodstained Teeth, number 10, the final issue of Christian Ward's Vampire series. Harley Quinn, number 28, which comes with a new creative team of Teeny Howard and Sweeney Boo with Erica Henderson, all-female team. T.I.L. Sweeney Boo is female, did not know that, I do. Also importantly, you have variants of that issue by Jenny Frizen, Ryan Sook, Paulina Gunchow, Dan Mora, Kathy Kwan, and Pablo Villalobos. Dark Knights of Steel number 10 of 12 by Tom Taylor and Yasmin Putri. Saga 63, Daredevil 9, which is ending in August, Thor 32, and the final story of Power Girl Reborn in Action Comics 1053. There's also some Lazarus Planet, Revenge of the Gods stuff, but I haven't read the first issue of that, so we'll get to that when I catch up on comics, hopefully, whenever the next podcast episode comes out. As we get into our TVs and movies segment, TV and movie segment, yes, I just did say whenever the next podcast episode comes out because there may not be one this week. If it is, it will probably be Friday because my friends, Disney Dreamlight Valley is updating on Wednesday the 5th. And guess what? I am off of work that day. Heck no, I won't be recording a podcast episode. I'm going to get up at like 7 a.m., get some coffee from the gas station, and attach myself to the computer um, through an IV for the rest of the day. <laughs> I'm just excited. Um, if you don't play that game, I recommend it. Heck of fun. Heck of fun. Uh, but anyway, um, TV's movies. TV and movies. The stuff that I have been uh, distracting myself with while I haven't been reading comics, apparently. Uh, lots of cool stuff has been coming out. Lots of cool stuff. Um, Class of 07 was on, oh, I put Netflix. It's not on Netflix. It's on Amazon. Let me fix that in my notes here. It's on Amazon. I cannot believe I haven't heard people talking about this. Brilliant. Takes place in Australia for the first, like, 20 minutes of it. I did not realize that because I'm an idiot. Oh, gosh, no, it's a show. So it's the first few episodes, wasn't it? In any case, fantastic show. Um, stars Emily Browning. Yeah, Emily Browning. Um, really, really good. Excellent all-female cast. Uh, I don't think there's a single male character in the show. Absolutely phenomenal. I can't say enough good stuff about it. Again, I am my mind is just blowing up the fact that I haven't seen a single other person talk about it anywhere. 
brilliant stuff, honestly. Absolutely enjoy enjoyed it. Um, Shadow and Bone Season 2, I know I talked about a little bit last time. I finished it there on Netflix. It's fine. Um, yeah, it's fine. I feel like mistakes were made, but whatever. Uh, Yellow Jackets Season 2. Okay, so episodes 1 and 2 have already come out. <laughs> the way episode 2 kind of ended there? <laughs> we knew that was coming, right? We all knew that was coming. Because, you know, there were various, very obvious, um, you know, signs about it. But, oh my word. Good lord. I just turned into an old southern woman. Um, that was shocking. <laughs> very shocking. Even though we knew it was going to happen as soon as they decided that that's what they were going to do with the body. Oh my god. <laughs> and the coach's reaction, my man, we are all you. We are there with you, my man, with the whore. Although, dude's next. He, <laughs> and I'm, I, I'm not here to talk about theories. I, I'm not like that about this show. I'm just really here for the ride. And it's one of the few shows that I like, I don't do anything else while I watch it. I just sit and I focus on it because it's like, it's fascinatingly messed up. Be, be, uh, speaking of messed up, Well Mania is on Netflix. Um, fairly new. I believe it's like eight episodes. Hilarious. You will enjoy it. You will not enjoy it if you don't like people openly talking about um, bowel movements, but not in like a childish, ooh, poo-poo way, but in like a, I'm doing a cleanse and so this is happening a lot way. <laughs> um, also takes place in Australia, actually, for the most part. Um, really, really funny. She's a food critic, I guess, a food, a professional food writer, um, who gets stuck uh, in Australia, which is her home home country, um, when she goes back to visit her best friend for her <laughs> birthday. Really funny show. She gets stuck there having to get well, so she can go back to the U.S. Uh, the Big Door Prize is on Apple TV. I believe it's only been a couple of episodes. I believe it came out on Wednesday. Um, really fun. I'm blanking really hard on what the heck the show was about, but I really enjoyed it. Anyway, Unstable is also one that's on Netflix. I have not finished. Stars Rob Lowe and is very funny. See what I mean? I've been watching so much TV, I have not been reading comics. I need to balance this out better. Uh, and then finally, School Spirits, which I am not entirely sure what that one was on. I think Paramount? Really don't remember. Um, but it was really good too. I, I mean, it was kind of like, I feel like the characters are a lot less likable than in a lot of these other shows. Um, but it was still a very good mystery. And I hope season two happens at some point because I would like to have the mystery solved. Hey, um, for the animes I've been watching recently, first off, Witch from Mercury, English job completely, <laughs> completely lost me in one of the last couple of episodes with how absolutely ludicrous and stupid it was, frankly. Tech, just scratch that one off the list of things that I'm keeping up with. That was just, just ludicrous in a not funny way. There was that one comic series, Ludicrosity. That was hilarious. That was ludicrous in the best way. This is ludicrous in like, oh God, really? <laughs> the one that I can't pronounce, uh, Nye Er Automata Ver 1.1A. 
Um, whatever that is. The English dub kicked off for that on Crunchyroll. I think it's been three episodes now, and I'm very much enjoying it. I feel like there's a lot that I've missed as far as the mythology of that world goes, or the like history of that world. Uh, possibly they're still working on explaining it, but I am enjoying it so far. So a little bit ridiculous, but not at all, which from Mercury level. Uh, Tomo-chan season one also ended. Unfortunately, it is unlikely that's going to get a season two. Uh, because it has mostly caught up with the manga, apparently. Um, so, but ma- but you know, animes do do that thing where they can like stop for like ten years and then come back with what's come since then in the manga. Um, so maybe we'll see in, in another couple of years a season two for Tomo Chan is a girl. Absolutely loved the finale, by the way. Uh, Finally, I am still waiting for Attack on Titan to have uh, their new season or whatever it is, new episodes, English dubbed. Uh, Once I do watch that, because I'm just really bad at paying attention to subtitles when I'm watching things in another language. Um, once, Once I do catch up with that, we'll talk about that one when we get there. Moving into the shows and movies news and announcements. We're starting with rumors today, because there's a couple of those. We're finally getting some news and announcements proper again. Um, The Daredevil, the Born Again Daredevil Disney Plus series, appears to be having the Fisk mayoral campaign, based on leaked set photos or pop photos, whatever they they were. Um, It appears that Wilson Fisk, played by Vincent D'Onofrio, is going to be back, and he's going to be doing the mayor... Fisk for Mayor campaign, which was fairly recent in the comics, unless that was the second time that he's run for mayor, which it's very possible he could. Um, but it, I'm pretty sure it's the recent the recent stuff they're going to be pulling from. So that's very interesting. Um, but it does feel like the proper direction for the Wilson Fisk that they created, um, it feels like that fits very much in with line with the character that they have designed for him. So that's good. There are rumors that a Mephisto special is filming at the same time as the Agatha Harkness series. Uh, What is it? Coven of Chaos? Um, This one makes a lot of sense to me, honestly, because the rumors of Sasha Baron Cohen being cast as Mephisto was around the amount of time ago that they'd have been looking to cast him for somewhat current filming. Also, the fact that there has been not a word about that rumor since it came out, and I can just really honestly see that being a thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I, we've been making jokes about Isn't Mephisto coming in the MCU for years now, literally years. Um, I think it's time. I think if they put it off any further, then when we do eventually get Mephisto, he's going to be just a disappointment. Um, I just don't want it to go the direction of Kang, which, hooey, we will talk about that mess in a little bit. Um, but Sasha Baron Cohen, if, if, if it really is him, I feel like whatever Mephisto we're going to get is going to be good. And our third and final rumor, uh, James Gunn teased that he is working on a Terrifics project by posting the uh, cover of a Terrifics comic, Terrifics Justice League or something like that, uh, cover image to Twitter. Uh, Do I think that actually means anything? No. (laughs) He's posted all kinds of stuff that has meant amounted to nothing. He said all kinds of stuff that has amounted to nothing. Remember, the man is an online liar. We know this. Um... Would it be cool if we get Mr. Terrific 
as a character in the in the live action DCU? Yes, because he is literally the smartest character in the DC Comics universe, and I feel like that's something that people should work on. It also makes me think a little bit of the recent Tom King project that had Mr. Terrific in it, um, which was uh, not Miracle Man, but uh, Strange Adventures, which had quite a satisfactory ending, I have to say. Uh, Strange Adventures was a Tom King series that had uh, Adam Strange and Mr. Terrific in it. Yes, there's also, and why don't, well, yes, uh, James Gunn is also using some other Tom King projects, like Woman of Tomorrow. Do we maybe think that he found a writer who he just clicks with what they write, and he's going to pull from a lot of their stuff? Maybe. Moving on to MCU news, these are not rumors, Victoria Alonso has left Marvel Studios. What does that mean? Well, it means that she was the president of physical post-production VFX and animation at Marvel Studios. Do you recall, as you yourself may be one who said that thing, um, all the people who've been complaining about how the MCU stuff feels rushed and the visual effects are really mediocre and like a lot of people were like, yeah, Shang-Chi's visual effects, what the heck was with that? Um, You know, a lot of people have been pointing that out. That is because of Victoria Alonso. She has been pushing very hard for things to get rushed, to cut numbers, to cut budgets. That has been now foregone. Victoria Alonso is no longer with Marvel Studios. Interestingly, this happens the same week that they also let go of Ike Perlmutter. Who is Ike Perlmutter? Good question. He's the guy who basically kept the Black Widow and Captain Marvel movies from being made for like a decade uh, after when they originally wanted to make them. <laughs> um, and it came to a point where I believe uh, the story goes that um, uh, Kevin Feige goes to uh, whoever it was it was the head, um, whichever Bob it was, Bob Chapek or whoever it was at that point. <laughs> And says, uh, basically, um, I'm going to walk if you don't let me make these movies. And so they're like, okay, (laughs) you can make the movies. Uh, But Ike Perlmutter is also gone. So hopefully all of his um, stuff about how women don't sell comics is also gone from Marvel Studios. You know, it's never going to be gone because people are terrible. But he was the one who was heading that movement. So good, good to see him gone. We had some news about Secret Invasion this week. First off, it is premiering, mark your calendars, June 21st. I just realized I haven't actually watched the trailer. Um, the trailer came out, was the, it was another thing. And the third thing is it's revealed that Amelia Clark is playing Gia, who is Talos' daughter um, in the Secret Wars. So she, yes, she is going to be a scroll. She is... Um, undercover or whatever, and she is apparently working closely with Nick Fury. What it makes me think of, now the character of Gia is from a comic called Meet the Scrolls, I believe, which as far as I remember is completely unrelated to the comic character of Talos in any way. Now, a character who does have a daughter who becomes important to things like S.H.I.E.L.D. efforts, as it seems that this Amelia Clark's Gia is going to be if she's working with Nick Fury, uh, the character of Jacinda from She-Hulk comics. I believe she was the princess or the daughter of the princess or the daughter of the king or something like that. She was an important scroll person. And she ends up teaming up with She-Hulk, Jennifer Walters, during 
roughly around-ish the Civil War period, um, but it was for secret invade. A lot of it was secret invasion as well, um, and they become shield agents who go around taking out nefarious scrolls undercover. So while the character of Gia doesn't really seem to be um, a relevant comic character, I have a feeling Jacinda might be who they're sort of pulling from there. And again, I didn't actually watch the trailer yet, so I don't know, Desender could have been announced. Um, but I'm really excited. I believe the British actress who was in Doctor Who playing an alien who looks like she uh, could make a career out of playing an alien, I think she's playing a scroll, so that makes a lot of sense. Uh, we also had news for Loki Season 2. It is premiering in July, and here is where we will address that Jonathan Majors business. Um... Obviously, there's been a lot of backlash about the character of Kang since the Quantumania movie came out at all because it really caught people off guard that Kang is not actually the big bad. There really is no single Kang. It's just the Council of Kangs who... It was weird. Everybody was very taken aback by that, and that felt very rushed and very not thought out. It just felt very weird. Um, we're... I'm really... <laughs> I'm not really sure how the future is going to go with the character of Kang because it came out about a week ago and uh, I guess trigger warning for uh, violent, domestic violence uh, came out that Jonathan Majors, uh, a couple of things about him, frankly. First off, uh, it all came out because he apparently beat and choked his girlfriend to the point where uh, one of them ended up calling 911. I guess she ended up calling 911 and was like furious at him. And he got arrested. Um, <laughs> and I guess the neighbors and stuff say that he does that. Um, and then it got even worse because when his lawyer released the text from the girlfriend later on that she sent him while he, he was in jail, it was all very, very much the apologetic beaten woman blaming herself for his rage on her. Um, really, really not a good look. On top of that, you have multiple people in the industry, the film industry, coming out talking about how they have had experiences with majors as being a very twisted, sadistic person on set. Um, I believe there was one director who in February tweeted about how, uh, didn't mention names, just said there's an up-and-coming actor who everybody is completely taken by and absolutely adores, and I'm really worried about that because I've seen him on set and I see how he really is and he is a cruel person. Once this Jonathan Majors news broke, the director retweets that and says, guess I don't need to tell you who this was anymore. So, <laughs> big shock there, big shock. Um, especially the usage of kind of the soft man aesthetic to get the public to trust and love you when you are, frankly, the opposite of that. Psychologically twisted. And this is not superheroes we're talking about right now, folks. This is a real person and real dynamic in the land of Hollywood. So season two of Loki, getting back to reality here or whatever. This is all reality, frankly. Um, season two of Loki is supposed to star Jonathan Majors in it, right? Because we had that whole Quantumania end credits scene. Do you think they're going to recast Majors? The general consensus is they might... And if they do, nobody's going to care because he hasn't made enough of a mark on the MCU for that to have mattered yet. Um, so uh, Loki season two premieres in July. We'll see how that goes. 
Also, uh, possibly what I'm most excited about, Liv Tyler is back as Betty Ross in Captain America 4, whatever the heck they're calling that one. Um, very exciting. Liv Tyler, of course, played Betty Ross in the Incredible Hulk movie, um, who they then recast Hulk as whoever the heck it is now, Mark Ruffalo. Um, and she has not been back since that first Incredible Hulk movie. Um, I don't know if there was ever a reason for that or anything. Um, I assume they just didn't have anything for her to be doing and she didn't push it. So... Um, in the comics, of course, Betty Ross has a very tumultuous relationship with Bruce Banner. Um, I mentioned them a lot in my first podcast special that I did, the Yancey Street special, which was February 2022, talking about toxic comic romances. You can go back and reference that if you'd like to hear more about how Betty Ross and Bruce Banner are not supposed to be together. Also, the fact that Bruce in the MCU has a son now, um, that could potentially make things even more complicated for uh, Betty Ross coming back into the picture. But anyway, Betty Ross at one point becomes Red She-Hulk. Um, there's a lot of her dying and being brought back and like just refusing to die that warps her loosely through history, and she eventually becomes the Harpy, which is like a winged She-Hulk creature. It's a Harpy. You know what Harpies are. They got claws and stuff, you know. Um, and so she's Red Harpy. That's who she is now in the comics. And she's hashed a lot of her shit with Bruce out. Bruce is not a good guy. He was not a good guy in their relationship. There's never any question otherwise. Um, so it would be pretty cool if we get a Red She-Hulk before a Red Hulk, which is obviously the opposite of what happens in the comics. Now, that being said, uh, what's his name? General Ross is the one who in the comics becomes Red Hulk first. He is her father. Now, the actor who played him, of course, passed away some time ago and has been recast as Harrison Ford. Shocking for a number of reasons. I didn't think Harrison Ford was into this kind of stuff. Um, but it makes me think that this role is going to be primarily CGI or green screen. And so he probably won't actually have to do very much. Um, if that's the case then I could really see them leaning on, for whatever reason, Betty is the one who gets the Hulk gene um, instead of her father. So, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But I'm excited to have Liv Tyler back. Yay! Finally, Demetrius Gross has been cast as Wonder Man's brother, the Grim Reaper. You may remember him from The Walking Dead. He is the guy with the sticks. I don't remember the character's name. Uh, and Wonder Man, you will remember, is Yaya... Uh, Yaya. Let's see. I want to make sure I get the name right. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Google does not... Yeah, yeah, yeah Abdul-Mateen. I didn't want to say it wrong. I wasn't sure if it was Mateen Abdul. It's yeah, yeah Abdul-Mateen. He is Wonder Man. Fantastic choice. Um, with Demetrius Gross cast as Grim Reaper, very much clearly being that older brother figure. There's a lot of, like, kind of messed up stuff that happens between the two of them as one's a hero, one's a villain, kind of. Uh, and then the one of them also gets sort of brain copied and made into the vision, which is like a whole other arc that I'm really hoping that they're going to go down uh, with Wanda and White Vision in the Wonder Man show or whatever the heck it's going to be. If it's going to be a Wonder Man show or called something else. I wrote Wonder Woman on here. I just realized I'm going to fix that in my notes. <laughs> Wonder Man. Wonder Man's brother, Grim Reaper. Yaya Abdul-Mateen. Really great actor. He was, um, you know, he was an Aquaman, Candyman, Matrix, Watchmen. Oh, Watchmen. 
Apparently he was in Furiosa. Who was he? He must have just been some dude. But yeah, um, great, great things coming from that part of the world for MCU stuff. But we're still kind of like, mm, we got a little questions about some things that are a little bit messed up in the corner there. Uh, hopefully that's going to get sorted out and we can move on uh, with Kang in a much, much better way. <laughs> Finally, in our news, uh, for DCU, we had the official title, or rather the official villain, not the title, we know the title already, it's called The Batman 2, for The Batman 2, is going to be Clayface. I don't think there's a whole lot of question as to how this is going to go. The first Matt Reeves Batman movie was very much um, given high praise for the quote-unquote groundedness of the um, Riddler villain. And so you can imagine, <laughs> oh gosh, what all kinds of things that he could do to make a grounded clay face. I mean, I'm not expecting anything supernatural. I'm not expecting him to actually be able to change into anything. Probably some deformities. So hopefully they don't really, really screw up the very real fact that there are people with real life deformities. And I hope they don't take that too far in the wrong direction. Um, but aside from that, I Clayface, yay. Okay. I, I kind of, people were guessing Clayface, I think pretty strongly. So nothing too surprising there. Um, we also got the first few looks as Lady Gaga as Harley Quinn in the Joker sequel. I can't believe I'm addressing this, but it's been everywhere. So I kind of feel like I have to, yes, she's doing the dance on the stairs like he did. No, I don't think this movie is going to be any good. <laughs> um, I mean, like, how is, this, how is this even getting made, frankly? I could not make it through that first movie. It was so cringe. It was just bad. This thing was up for Oscars. I cannot believe the state of Hollywood. Not a good movie, but here we are, getting a sequel, which is a musical with a pop star starring as the abused girlfriend, theoretically. God, this is gonna suck. Moving on, Blue Beetle trailer was good. <laughs> that came out this morning. Um, it looks like it's pretty yeah, pretty much what everybody kind of thought. It's it's Jaime, it's focusing on him and his family more than on the, I think, extraterrestrial kind of stuff. Um, I feel like that's going to kind of come into things more towards the end of the movie, if it comes in at all. Yes, we do get to see Ted Korg references in the trailer. It does not look like he is going to be in it. Korg. I think I said Korg. Korg. Um, I don't think he is going to be in it, but um, his costume is, as well as the, what is it, Birdman, whatever the heck the, the predecessor of him was, uh, is also shown in that. And the Ted Korg ship? Blue Beetle ship thing, very much designed after his from the comics. So lots of references there. I thought I'm really genuinely upset at the company who made the trailer that they went in a humor direction when it's crawling out of him because that it was a horror show, a shockingly horrorish. Um, and they put like humorous, like that was obviously the wrong direction to take that, right? <laughs> but the movie looks like it'll be fun. I know already that people are going to have a lot of negativity to say about his family, uh, particularly his father, which I'm sure is going to have a little bit to do with the actor playing him, but that's, I guess, just life. 
And I guess we'll just have to wait and see if it actually is going to tie into the future of the DCU movies or not, because frankly, everything James Gunn's been saying about that has been goddamn confusing. As far as anime news goes, we have the official Crunchyroll Spring 2023 lineup for what is getting the English dubs. There are 18 titles. A Galaxy Next Door, Dr. Stone, New World, Dead Mount, Death Play, Hell's Paradise. I got a cheat skill at another world and became unrivaled in the real world. Don't you love it when the titles explain the show? Kamikatsu, working for a god, working for god in a godless world. Konosuba, an explosion on this wonderful world. Kuma 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 Bear Punch. My clueless first friend, my home hero. Ranking of Kings, treasure chest of courage. Sacrificial princess and the king of beasts. Ancient Magus's bride, season two. Aristocrats, otherworldly adventure, serving gods who go too far. The legendary hero is dead. Tonikawa, Over the Moon for You, Season 2, Why Raylena Ended Up at the Duke's Mansion, and Yuri is My Job, which is an absolutely hilarious title, and I'm excited to see what the heck that one's about. There's a lot of other um, 2023 spring shows that are in the Crunchyroll lineup for anime uh, that are not getting dubs, so you can go out and check out all of the the subtitle shows as well. As for new shows that have been announced, yes, the Scott Pilgrim sh- uh, movie is being made into an anime, or rather comic is being made into an anime, uh, with the entire original cast. Um, and that picture has been absolutely everywhere on the internet, so I'm not going to go through the list of names, but all of them pretty much have had pretty stellar careers since the Scott Pilgrim movie, and even more impressively, I don't think a single one of them has done anything wildly problematic. I'm not sure what's more impressive. It's the problematic one. That that one's the one that's more impressive. People will do anything for money. Moving on. uh, I don't know if it's ReZero or RE0. I'm sorry, but it's getting a third season based on Tape Nagasuki's Starting Life in Another World light novels. It was announced uh, on the Anime Japan stage, and it's coming in... I don't know. Sometime. The Elusive Samurai is coming uh, to... It had a stage presentation on March 25th. The original work is by Yusei Matsui, and it is coming from Cloverworks. Uh, we have Hell's Paradise, Jigo Kuraka, premiered April 1st on Crunchyroll in the U.S. The original story was by Yuji Kaku. Boss Animal, based on Sanrio characters, Sakura, the cat Kathy, and the hamster Ran, is premiering on April 3rd. Shit, that's today. Um, from a character line that Sanrio debuted in 2021. Fun fact, did you know that Hello Kitty, did you know why Hello Kitty is called that? And that's because Sanrio, originally a textile manufacturer, started putting little fun animal characters on their stuff. And when they saw people like that, they started making other things with little animal characters and stuff. So one time they made a little coin purse, a little plastic clear coin purse, and it had a little picture of a little white cat that said hello on it. And they called her Kitty White. That was her original name. Uh, or Cat or cat White or something like that. I think it was Kitty White. Um, and it just caught on that the culture itself called her Hello Kitty. The end. Uh, Konosuba, an explosion on this wonderful world, is the, of course, Konosuba spinoff following Megamine uh, and her Crimson Magic Clan. <laughs> Possibly went no, no, she's not the most ridiculous character. The horny one is the ridiculous one, the horny knight. Uh, but it is based on writer Natsume Akatsuki and illustrator Kurane Mishima's 
an explosion on this beautiful, wonderful world spin-off novel series that's going to be premiering on April 5th. Just in a couple of days. April 5th also has Kamikatsu, Working for God in a Godless World. April 10th, Death Mount, Death, Dead Mount Death Play. Uh, and then Jujutsu Kaisen is having its second season premiere on July 6th. I know that we had some very messed up stuff just happen in the manga, but we can still enjoy the anime before it gets there. Uh, July 6th premiere and uh, is available to read if you're into that on the Shonen Jump app. There is a new Horomiya piece based on Daisuke Haga, Hagiwara's manga. Again, I apologize. It's going to be premiering in July with all of the cast, or most of the cast and staff, returning. Also in July, we are seeing Dark Gathering and Story of a Small Senior in My Company. Uh, then come October is the official Spy Family second season premiere. Uh, and on December 22nd, you get Spy Family Code White, the movie, which is going to be premiering as well. Girlfriend Girlfriend's second anime season is coming in October. And then we have also in October, Vexations of a Shut-In Vampire Princess. Um, and the, there's some things we don't know the dates for. Tenpuru is premiering this year and streaming on Crunchyroll, but it's going to be much later this year. Uh, based on the story No One Can Live on Loneliness, which is a manga. Whisper Me a Love Song will be January 2024, and I don't think we have a date for Aliyah Sometimes Hides Her Feelings in Russian, but it is based off of novel light novels and will also be coming probably early next year. Finally, to wrap up anime news, the live-action anime that we are going to be getting is Cells at Work. <laughs> the manga is originally by Akane Shimuzu. The original Cells at Work manga launched in March 2015. Uh, Kodansha printed it in English. The first anime season premiered in 2018, the second in 2021, along with the spin-off Cells at Work Code Black, which is a spin-off manga. Kodansha is also releasing the following spin-off mangas in English. This is quite a list. You ready? Cells at Work Bacteria. Cells at Work Neobacteria. Cells at Work White Brigade. Cells at Work Baby. Cells at Work Cells at Work. What? Code Black? Oh, Cells Not at Work, and then Cells at Work, Code Black, Cells at Work and Friends, and Cells at Work, Platelets. Whew. That leaves us with our final subject of the day, Mando Season 3, Chapters 20 and 21, titled The Foundling and The Pirate, respectively. I, Since I missed the past couple of weeks of podcast, we'll just cover both of these episodes together, and then Wednesday we're going to have the new episode, which I guess I'm going to have to stop playing Dreamlight Valley for a few minutes to actually watch. So, starting with Chapter 20, The Foundling, we now have Grogu and Din, of course our bando, uh, living with the Mandalorians in their secret little base, since they obviously had to leave the last place they were at. Uh, Grogu does a little... Um, a little a little shoot off with one of the other foundlings who I believe is the son of the heavy mando um but then before too long we get uh more monsters these are these are basically um like velociraptors kind of like star wars velociraptors and so the kid gets steve the kid's name is ragnar um and so he gets his positive positive son ragnar gets stolen uh by dinosaur monster and they're like oh we got to find him all these guys got jetpacks of course all the mandalorians are going to go uh track down this thing and get the get the kid back so they go up they fight their way up they find the nest 
Oh, they, they see a heat signature in the nest. Okay, they go for the heat signature. Just kidding. It's a bunch of baby dinosaur bird things. Um, so they end up having to, like, fight their way out, and it's a whole thing. Um, but with... We also get Grogu uh, getting another piece of his Mandalorian armor in this. The armorer, who is, of course, played by Emily Swallow. We have not seen her yet. Her, like, face. I wonder if they're going to do that. I'm so curious. Um, but she is going to make him his new piece of armor. Um, and while she's hammering out the Beskar steel, we get probably what is the most interesting part of the episode, um, which is the flashback to Grogu getting rescued during Order 66. So you see kind of, it's pretty much all from his perspective um, in his little pod that he sees the various Jedi around him. You see Anakin's clone troopers coming in and slaughtering them all. And then it turns and reveals um, Ahmed Best, who plays Jedi Kelleran Beck. You will know Ahmed Best because he played Jar Jar Binks in the prequel movies. And that was one of the worst um, backlashes of a character on an actor, I think, that we've ever seen. Uh, you can look into all of that if you'd like. But this is his triumphant return to Star Wars, not only as a Jedi, but as the Jedi that rescues the future of Star Wars legacy, this child, Grogu. Because let's be honest, the future of Star Wars is wherever that little dude goes. This is it, guys. Um, so Keller and Beck, the Jedi, he is the one who saves him. So he ends up fighting off the clones, and he gets uh, Grogu into a Naboo speeder ship, which is very interesting to me for a couple of reasons. Um, does that mean that that's where they're headed? Because we didn't see that far into it. We see them escape. We don't see where they're headed. Are they going to Naboo? Also, um, the Jar Jar Binks, whatever the heck they're called, they live at Naboo. So it's also possibly a fun little reference to uh, his previous Star Wars role. In the end of the episode, we have that reveal. We have a brilliant chess piece for baby Grogu. It's fantastic. I was squealing like a child. Um, just painfully cute when <laughs> she puts it on him. And then, of course, Bo-Katan in the fight with the weird Triceratops Star Wars beasties loses an arm piece. And so the armorer is like, oh, we gotta make, we gotta make this. And so she asks Bo-Katan if she wants the Night Owl sigil on this one, because that's what was on the other one. But Bo-Katan decides that she wants to have the Mythosaur instead, because... She says she saw the. She tells her then she admits to her I saw the mythosaur, um, and the armor is like basically all she really says is this is the way. So does she know that the myth? Does she always know the mythosaur was there? Does she not believe her? I don't know. But their relationship gets way more interesting in chapter twenty one of Mandalorian, where we get a lot more stuff getting involved. The last episode was pretty pretty focused on. The Mandalorian covert and baby Grogu. This one has a lot, a lot bigger picture stuff going on. Um, a lot of I'm seeing it being called the busiest chapter yet of Mandalorian, or first season three at least, and I definitely can see how that could be. So you remember in the, like the first episode of season three, we meet back up with Grief Karga, uh, the High Magistrate, right, and of Navarro. So Grief Karga kicked out the pirates. Among them, 
uh, the various, you know, species that we saw from Filoni's rebels and stuff and uh, Clone Wars and stuff, but they're led by pirate King Gorian Shard. Uh, Mando takes out the pirates on Navarro. They run off and tell Daddy Shard, and Daddy Shard says, okay, I'm going to take this Mandalorian out. He jumps into hyperspace, and that obviously doesn't happen. But he's still mad. So what does he do? He sends his pirates down, and they attack Navarro. So now we get... Um, uh, what's his name? Grief Karga, I'm blinking. Grief Karga sending a desperate message off planet, off Navarro, asking for help from the New Republic. There is quite a bit of talk of Moff Gideon um, as we encounter Captain Teva, who um, who is played by lifelong uh, fighter pilot dreamer Paul Sun Hyung Lee, who we might know from Kim's Convenience and a few other things, but it's been very nice to see him in this as a lifelong fan and dreamer of being a star pilot fighter, star fighter pilot, <laughs> and now he is. So that's Captain Teva. Um, and you get Grief Karga sends a desperate message to the New Republic. Captain Teva is the one who ends up getting it, um, and he basically does the whole, you're, you're my only hope kind of thing to him, uh, because they are not necessarily in line with the New Republic. Um, so unfortunately, when Teva goes to his heads and tells them they need backup in Navarro, they're like, no, we have better things to deal with right now, basically. Um, so what does he do? He goes and he searches for the one person who uh, he thinks might be able to help. And that would be, uh, for him, the Mandalorians. He has encountered one Mandalorian who was very much... Um, of use of him and so he in knowing that he owes or the Mandalorian owes him something um, because he helped him in the past right he says okay here's how you're going to pay me back for you owing me you're going to help Navarro how does he find the Mandalorian's secret covert because the R2 droid that they have there um, actually worked with him in the past so he sent him the the coordinates and he came and found them. And there's this whole thing about how, oh, you found our covert and now we have to kill you. And and Mando's like, no, 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 I, I owe you one. So my owing you one is going to be not letting them kill you now. But get the hell out of here right now. Um, and he basically is like, with all due respect, I'm not going to turn you in or whatever. And also, this is the message your friend sent me. You might want to do something about that. And he leaves. And so then it's left with Din and uh, the rest of the Mandalorians basically deciding, are they going to do something about this? And in one of the most surprising, one of the most surprising moments of the episode is when, when the heavy Paz Vizsla, the, the heavy Mando stands up in response and you 100% him to expect him to say, let's not kill ourselves for these people anymore and he says why do we why are we protecting these people and then he answers his own question because we are mandalorian that's what we do and so basically the decision is made um in exchange for a plot of land for the mandalorians to live on openly in navarro uh, they will go and protect the city and that's what they do uh really really cool sequence we got lots of uh really awesome mandalorian moves we got jetpacks all kinds of stuff. They take the whole ship out. Um, Goran Shan goes down with the ship. It's all a big disaster. Um, but they win. They win Navarro and they win their plot of land. Um, the side plot to all of this has been Captain Teva and his um, his distrust of the um, 
the the, the new Republic soldiers who came from the Empire, uh, because he says there are rumors that Moff Gideon was taken to trial, but he never arrived. And so Captain Tava, at the end of the episode, he's going off um, and just going back, you know, leaving where he was going through space. And he comes across that transport that was supposed to be taking Moff Gideon to trial. It is destroyed. It's floating out there in space. Everyone inside is dead and there is no Moff Gideon. Additionally, there is a piece of Beskar embedded in the wall of the ship. Um, my theory here is that Moff Gideon is rescued by somebody who, whether that be Gideon or them, wants to pin this theft of him on the Mandalorians. Um, and so then Captain Teva won't trust them anymore and maybe he'll give their location over to the New Republic, blah, blah, blah. Not really... Uh, we're not done with Moff Gideon is, is where this is clearly going. So that's pretty much where the episode leaves us. That and the fact that now that they have taken Navarro, sort of, you know, um, they the armor decides that now they're going to go and they're going to take back Mandalore. They're going to take back their home. So that's kind of the arc that we're headed towards um, for the end of the season. How Moff Gideon is going to tie into that. My guess is it's going to be a big surprise. I was here first uh, when they arrive to take back Mandalore from whatever the heck it is that's on Mandalore, which is probably Moff Gideon. That wraps up today's episode of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. Thank you for listening for whatever podcast, whatever part of the podcast that you were able to. We will be back next week with more Mandalorian, a comics catch-up, a preview of what to expect in various geeky communities in April. Um, we're going to do card number six of the Major Arcana of Tarot, and that is going to be the Lover's Card. We'll have a new manga of the week. Uh, new news, catching up on all those comics that I'm super behind on, including Hellcat, Poison Ivy, JSA, um, Grimm, where I'll finally read She-Hulk and Women of Marvel, you know, since the Sins of Sinister event, Lazarus Planet Aftershocks, all that kind of stuff we'll be catching up with on the next podcast episode. If you play Dreamlight Valley, I hope you enjoyed the update, because I'm sure I will too. Um, have a good week. Don't be an asshole. <laughs>